following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. We have two short readings this morning. Um, If you're at home with a Bible in front of you, uh, it's the longest of the Psalms you've got to find first. Psalm 119, and we're going to read verses 33 to 40. Psalm 119, verses 33 to 40. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding, so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes, and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant, so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, preserve my life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our second lesson is from Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 15. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, Take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Anne. Let's pray. Faithful God, let your word be the treasure of our heart, that we may delight in your truth and walk in the glorious liberty of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Earlier this week, I was talking to a friend of mine, Richard Carew, about the psalm that Anne has just read to us. 
And he told me on reflecting on that psalm together about two particularly memorable games he was involved in as a young rugby player. Now the first game stuck in his memory due to the inexperience of the referee who was presiding over the first game. The ref's uncertainty and inexperience was picked up by the teams immediately and it meant that the game soon descended into a physically violent match which included one player being <coughs> knocked unconscious and stretched off after being punched in the face by another player. The rest of that match was played in an atmosphere of uncertainty, fear and ugliness. There was no law at work in the game with the referee being an absent presence on the field. The second game that he remembered was one overseen by someone who had just been appointed an international referee. Throughout the match, he communicated with the players from both sides, talking to them, warning them where necessary, telling them what they had done wrong, explaining his decisions, and creating a confidence on the field so that the players were able to concentrate on the game, to play full in the knowledge that they were being overseen by someone who made the game safe and enabled them all to flourish in the skills that they brought to the field. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Psalm 119, as Anne alluded to, uh, the longest psalm in the Bible, a poem of 176 verses with a common theme of thankfulness to God for his law. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow them to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commandments, for there I find my delight. Now, to our modern ears, the kind of joys to be found in the praise of the law can sound strange, especially in societies that might regard any mention of the law in negative terms, associating it with restriction, with thou shalt not, rather than the words of delight and praise, which we hear not only in this psalm, but throughout the book of Psalms. For the people of Israel, the law was not something that was concerned mainly with prohibition, but rather it was the path to freedom, the liberating gift of God through which their relationship with God was mediated. This psalm, Psalm 119, is a stream of adoration celebrating the covenant between God and his people which is found, which is mediated through the law, through the Torah, in the law of God which is given as gift, as the basis for flourishing and essentially for relationship. And it's that theme of relationship that is at the heart of our gospel reading that Anne read to us this morning. 
with its focus not only on our relationship with God in the latter verses of that reading, but in the earlier verses, in our relationships with one another. If your brother or sister sins, begins our gospel reading. As the notes in our church Bibles make clear, the Greek word used in the text for brother or sister is adelphos, which actually means fellow disciple. So the context of Jesus' words here, right at the off, are clear. Jesus is speaking about how we handle issues of conflict or disagreement but that arise between two disciples, between a brother and a brother, a brother and a sister. Or to put it another way, how we deal with disagreements in a community of believers. In verse 17 of the text that Anne read to us, Jesus specifically refers to the church. One of only two times he does so in the entire uh, in the entirety of Matthew's gospel, the other being his reference to the apostle Peter as the rock upon whom I will build my church. But just as the law can be wrongly viewed as a series of literal prohibitions designed to restrict rather than to enable freedoms, so there's a risk of taking this gospel passage before us and reading it as a simple conflict resolution manual. Rather, it's more about how we are to live fruitfully together as a family of believers. Because part of the role of the church, our function when we are together, our function as a community is to help to deal with our sinfulness, to help one another in dealing with our sinfulness. As a church family, we are to help each other with our imperfections, the things we know are wrong with us, our unhealthy patterns, the way that we sin against each other and against ourselves. The church at its best is a family of people that journey together in faith, celebrating our common joys, supporting one another in times of difficulty, and also a family that deals and helps one another with their flaws. Because that's what families do. We help one another to grow. We nurture one another. We help one another to become spiritually mature. In the opening three verses of our gospel reading, Jesus sets out a particular pattern, a particular approach, if you will, to dealing with disagreements. First, by dealing with one another one-to-one. -one. Secondly, with a small group of others. And finally, before the church as a whole. And we see in this pattern the crucial importance of relationship in dealing with sin or conflict. So, for instance, Jesus' first instruction is to deal with the issue that has, that has arisen by having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Now, there's no doubt that this can be a very hard thing to do. 
to take the difficult but bold step of having the difficult conversation with the person that you feel has sinned against you or offended you. It goes against, in many ways, our natural tendency to rub along, to brush things under the carpet, to smile nicely at the time at the person offending you, and then when their back's turned to go and complain to someone else about what they've said. It goes against the culture of niceness, which, although a seemingly easier path, is one that can lead to resentment seething and troubles unresolved. But the reason for Jesus' instruction here, go and have that one-to-one conversation, is that it is an honest, open conversation that there's the rich potential for forgiveness, for reconciliation, for a mutual building up. But such outcomes are difficult, if not impossible, if the conversation is not directly between two people, but rather when it's done by talking not to the person, not to the person who may have offended you, but rather talking about them to someone else. Friends, I must admit that there are times when my heart sinks when I find myself in conversations which begin with phrases like, people are saying, or I can't tell you who, but lots of people I know have said. Now, it's not that the particular point or issue being raised might not be right or justified, far from it. But rather that there's nothing to be done to resolve that situation to restore the relationship if it is people who are saying rather than the person in front of me who's saying it. It's impossible to identify what's going on within them, to seek to understand or put the situation right, if not dealing with an individual, but rather with an ethereal miasma of people are saying. But it's through individual relationship or even with two or three others in a small group as we read in verse 16 that it's possible together to find the potential for acknowledgement of wrong, for understanding, for forgiveness, for redemption and reconciliation. Jesus goes on in verse 17 to spell out the steps available For when there is no acknowledgement of wrong, when there's no understanding of the harm caused by the sin, or where reconciliation is not an imminent step. For both us as individuals and as a community, we need to be able to recognise both our own capacity and the capacity of others to do harm now it's often easier to identify the ways to identify the ways in which we have been harmed rather than it is to recognize the ways that our actions can harm others even if unintentionally perhaps one of the most difficult truths of our gospel passage 
is a reminder of the human capacity to cause harm to others, both in the systems in which we participate, as well as in our personal actions, or in our failures to act. It could be argued that one of the greatest sadnesses in our increasingly atomized society is the growing number of people who feel they have no one to help them with the issues that they know they have to deal with in themselves, be it character defect, imperfection, unhealthy, destructive behavior or habit. And of course, when I talk about they, what I mean is we. We, all of us, have these imperfections, these flaws, these deficits, all of us. There's no exception. You're a very unfortunate person if you have no one to talk to honestly about your weaknesses in order to help you mature and grow into wholeness, a lifelong journey. And that is one of the purposes of the church. We are to be like a family who loves each other with loving honesty about our strengths and weaknesses. And that's because here, in this community that we are called to be, you will find people who are flawed, who are broken, who get it wrong each day, but whose confidence and purpose comes from their relationship with Jesus Christ. Martin Luther uh, put this uh, a similar way when he wrote, O Lord, deliver me from Christian churches with nothing but Christian saints in them. I want to remain in and be part of a church which is a flock of faint-hearted people, weak people, who know and feel their sin, their poverty, their misery, and who believe in the forgiveness of God. That is what Luther wanted for the church. Nothing about successful growth programs, nothing about great music, nothing about great preaching, what Martin Luther wanted, above all, was to be part of a community which had faint-hearted and weak people who knew and felt their need for forgiveness. Luther wanted to be part of a real family, a Christian family, a family that cared for each other and could be honest with one another. One of the uh, biggest privileges for me of being ordained uh, and ordained as a priest in the Church of England is being able to take individual confession. Now often when we talk about confession we associate it with the Roman Catholic practice of the confessional, the small box, priest on one side, uh, repentant on the other, the sliding thing in between. But we have our own version of this in the Church of England formerly known as the Service of the Reconciliation 
of the penitent. He'd stand between the priest and one other person, the penitent. And it provides an opportunity for individuals to come, to confess their sins with their vicar, with their priest, and through contrition and prayer to be reconciled to God and to be forgiven, experience the love and grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. I remember doing that myself with a, a priest when I was training to be a vicar in the Church of England. And every time that I have done this, that I have met with someone to do this with them, I am struck by the privilege that it is to accompany someone in this way of the power of God's love to restore and heal by the renewing nature of the Holy Spirit, which enables people both to forgive and to be forgiven, to let go of the burdens that they have been carrying, sometimes for a lifetime. But helping one another discover and encounter the grace of God is not a role for the vicar or the priest alone. My friends, far from it. The final verses of our gospel reading uh, this morning points to the role that each of us have in helping one another to mature in love. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I there with them. It's a verse that I have often heard used as a warm consolation at a poorly attended prayer meeting and indeed have used myself on occasion when at morning prayer, in those days when we would have it in the chapel, gathered on a cold February or cold December morning, there may only be three of us, and I've used that verse to recognise the presence of God amongst us as we come to offer our prayer. But what this verse does in its context here is to serve as a reminder of what we're doing here this morning and the call of the church in times such as this to faithfully offer prayer to God first, to recognise whether it be the 20 or so people here, the 50, 60, 100, whatever it is, people watching online, to recognise that God is here with us and to first offer our praise, our worship first to him, to recognise the power of two or three people praying together, powerful, intimate, consistent prayer, lifting one another up before God, confessing our sins together adoring God together, growing together in our practice of faith in the presence of God. It's one thing to pray alone. It's still another to pray as we would do in normal times with a couple of hundred people or whatever it might be, all packed in here together. But it's still another to get together with other Christians two or three in a small group and pray for each other. 
over the past month uh, since lockdown, we have made a point of a ch as a church of gathering online every morning, gathering together at midday and gathering together at night where we pray together. And as part of that, we pray for one another. We pray for the names of everyone in this community. I look around and I see here the name of each person that we have prayed for over the past month. When two or three are gathered, sometimes it will be a small group or a house group, sometimes in a personal face-to-face -face conversation. Sometimes it's a telephone conversation in the form of the calls that we've been making over the past month, ending those calls by praying together. Two people on a phone gathered in the name of Christ and in the presence of God. In a moment, those of you here in church, we together will celebrate communion. And as we do so, we recognise the presence of God amongst us. And in celebrating this meal, we declare not only his presence, but acknowledge his saving grace, his power, and his forgiveness. And whilst those of you watching from home this morning are not able to receive communion physically, we are joined together in this community of believers through the presence of God with us as we gather in our homes, in this building, in the name of Christ. As we continue our pilgrimage, our journey, each step daily in the name of Christ, looking to him to deal with our sin and as we'll sing in a moment, to purify us anew. So my friends, this morning, wherever you may be, may you rejoice in being part of the family of God, of his presence with you, of the sisters and brothers who care for you enough to have the difficult conversation, to seek the welfare of your soul and to pray with you in seeking to deepen the relationship that comes from living in relationship with the God who is with us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.